So uh, we are continuing our series through the prison epistles. We're going to begin with the book of Ephesians today, which is the third of four books that we've been reading. And we've been pondering this question, I am most like Jesus when? The fifth answer to that question that I want to propose to you today is that I am most like Jesus when I celebrate God's work in others. Our scripture comes from Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. We're going to read the scripture together in one voice. It should be on the screen behind me. Beautiful. Let's read together. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Ephesians chapter 2. We are going to meditate on this word right now. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon us and give us understanding, challenge us to live the Christian life in the way we ought to live. Not to take anything for granted, to take the work of the cross for granted, but to daily on a regular basis be reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ by which we are saved. So renew that truth in our lives, not as a past event, but as a present reality. And so Lord, speak to our hearts. We're open to you, Holy Spirit. God, speak. We're listening. Edit in what you want to edit in. Edit out what you want to edit out. Lord, I humble myself before you. Would you use me to speak and encourage your people today? In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. There is a popular motto in leadership culture, and it says this, healthy things grow and growing things change. Healthy things grow and growing things change. Consider the metamorphosis of a butterfly. You all can imagine this with me. It begins as an egg on a leaf, and the egg hatches to become then a caterpillar. The caterpillar then transforms into a pupa, also known as chrysalis. And this chrysalis emerges as an adult butterfly ready to fly, ready to reproduce. It's a beautiful cycle of transformation. We call this metamorphosis. Now consider the transformation of a believer, a Christian. We begin as human beings apart from God. We're born into sin. We are distanced from him automatically. We make a decision then to follow Jesus. That is what we call the moment of our salvation. It's the beginning stage of justification. 
And then throughout the rest of our life, we journey in a growth process of holiness and Christ-likeness in a stage that we call sanctification. And then we wait for the second coming of Jesus Christ, in which the dead in Christ and those still alive will be caught up to receive a new eternal body in the stage we call glorification. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. As Christians, we need to celebrate these stages of spiritual transformation. And I'm so honored to be a firsthand witness of this as I see spiritual transformation happening all across the congregation at WPA. And it's my pastoral responsibility to encourage you and to challenge you at whatever stage you're at because the moment we stop transforming is the moment we start decaying. This morning, I want us to focus on four transitional phrases and words that the Apostle Paul used in Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, to help us learn how to celebrate God's work, not just in ourselves, but God's work in others. The first word I want to bring to your attention this morning is once. We find this in verses 1 to 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us lived among them at one time, once, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, and like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. See, while the New International Version translation of the Bible does not use the word once, many translations like the New Living Version, the English Standard Version, the New King James Version, they prefer the word once. But the actual word for one time that we see in this text in Greek is called pote, which means once. So we're talking about once here. How could the Ephesians have been dead if they're still alive? Is Paul writing to a dead congregation? No, they're alive, they're living, they're breathing. The Apostle Paul clarified that though they were physically alive, they were once spiritually dead. More specifically, they were dead in their transgressions and in sins. What's the difference between those two words, transgressions and sins? You see, sin is understood as missing the mark. Consider a bow and arrow. You're trying to get it right at the center in the bullseye. Sin is anything that misses the bullseye, that misses the mark. Transgression is understood as crossing the boundary. Perhaps there's a line on the floor and you shouldn't cross it. You should stay on this side of the line, but you cross to the other side of the line. That's what a transgression is. Another word that we find in Scripture, it's not found in this text, but we find it in Scripture, is the word iniquity which is understood as a twistedness. There's a twistedness in our hearts. There's a perversity within us that takes what is good and makes it what is evil. These are all synonyms for sin, and we get to see sin from various angles. I once heard Sinclair Ferguson say, a pastor and a great preacher say, the more important something is, the more words you will find in that culture for that something. (laughs) There's a lot of words for sin. When they're coupled or strung together, they are meant to intensify the weightiness of that sin. Friends, we too were once spiritually dead. This is true of all of us. Not one of us are exempt. And we must come to terms with that. We were once spiritually dead. The Ephesians had lived 
in accordance with worldliness instead of godliness. And by doing so, they were under the influence of Satan and the rule of the kingdom of the air. They, yes, they were spirit-led, as some would say, but it was not led by the Holy Spirit. It was being led by the evil spirits in this world. The Spirit led them into disobedience instead of obedience. The Apostle Paul didn't widen the scope to include us in this. He shifts from you, the Ephesians, to us, those who are among him, and even to us today. It was not only the Ephesians who once lived this way, but it was all of us that lived this way. Isn't that true? We did everything to gratify the flesh. We did everything to satisfy our carnal nature. This meant that we were driven by all of our primal instincts. Whatever we want, we get. Whatever we need, we get. So we say, I need this. I want this. Instead of having God order our life. And when this happens, we stop rationalizing and discerning and we fail to consider the moral and the ethical dimensions of all of our decision making. This lifestyle, friends, leads to destruction and outpouring of the wrath of God on us. But the importance of the word once is that it helped the Ephesians do something. What did it cause them to do? They looked back. They looked back on their lives. Christians need to look backwards in order to know how far they have really come and what God has saved them from. Friends, would you look backwards for a moment and think through the events in your life that have transpired and how God brought you so far to where you are today? It's not very pretty. You might not be proud of it. But the word once confirms that a transformation has indeed taken place and Jesus Christ is the transformer in your life. Jesus did not come to leave you as you were. It means that this former description no longer describes who you are now. He came to change you into what he wants you to be, not what you want to be. You might have come to church spiritually dead today, but I want you to know that you can leave spiritually alive in Christ. Second word I want to draw your attention to is because. Verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. The word because tells us that the transforming work of Jesus is conditional upon something. There's a condition involved in this. And that something is first the love of God. It is great love because what? God gave up his son Jesus out of great love for us. It was Jesus who said in John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. He didn't do it just for one person. He did it for all people. Jesus acted in a way that suggests to us that he considers all of us his friends. Everyone in humanity he considers as friends. But this love is for all, but not all will accept that love. That something, the second something, is the rich mercy of God. No matter how depraved we were and how much we didn't deserve God, God still sent his son for us. 
In Romans 9, 14 to 16, the Apostle Paul referenced God's words to Moses, which are also found in Exodus 33, verse 19. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. All of this mercy depends on God's doing. God's mercy can't be earned. It is bestowed at his discretion. In his great mercy, Jesus takes himself to the, to the Father and, and receives the Father's wrath that was meant for you and for me. Past, present, future. It's a lot of sin. It's a lot of wrath. And when love and mercy are applied, friends, new spiritual life begins. Those spiritually dead in transgressions and sins become spiritually alive in Christ. So who, who you are must translate into how you live if this is who you are. So many Christians are technically spiritually alive but are practically living like they're spiritually dead. Isn't that true? How can you shake yourself from this deception? It is the constant reflection on the grace of God as we will see later in Ephesians 2. Verse 8, third word, third phrase actually, in order that, in order that. We see this in verse 6 and 7. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That phrase, in order that, reveals a purpose. There is a purpose that you and I are saved for. There's a purpose for why you and I are sanctified for. What is that purpose? What is the purpose of your life? What is the reason you've been saved? It is not so that you can live for yourself, but it's so that you can live for Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of benefits. If you are a believer today, do you realize that you have been raised up with Christ and you have been seated with Christ in heavenly realms? Wow. Think about that for a second. You have been seated with Christ in heavenly realms. Is this heaven? No, this isn't heaven. This is earth, just in case you were wondering. But we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We're not literally in heaven, but we are positionally seated with Christ in heaven. From his perspective, we can have the perspective of God for our situations here in the life we now live. We can see things now from a different point of view, from God's point of view. We also see that his plan is to make all things new. And therefore, wherever Christ is, that is where we are meant to be. Therefore, whatever Christ has, that is meant to be our portion for us. Romans 8:17 informs us, now if we are children, then we are his heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, in order that, order that we might also share in his glory. This is my inheritance, this is your inheritance, this is our inheritance. There's greater things to be revealed. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 
chapter 2, verse 11 to 13, he offers us one of his many trustworthy sayings. I encourage you, maybe as part of a way of Bible study, you can look into the Bible and trace all these trustworthy sayings, beautiful portions of Scripture. But in this one, he says, here is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. You see, the choice is yours today. Your purpose is not tied to the temporal things of this world, but it is tied to eternity. And the, come, and the age right, that we're living in right now is not the only age that is to come. There are many more ages to come. That's what the scripture says. So in other words, you haven't seen nothing yet. There's so much that we're going to see because we're positioned in Christ seeing things from a heavenly point of view. So there is still greater grace and there is still greater kindness to experience. If you think the benefit of being in Christ, just being saved is good, you haven't seen nothing yet. There's so many greater things to be seen. The last word I want to share with you is four. Simple word, three-letter word, four. Verses 8 to 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Love the scripture. The apostle Paul, he used the word for twice in this portion of scripture to be clear. He wants to make sure that we fully understand what he's talking about. This is for clarity's sake. And he had previously introduced the idea of grace in verse 5, but he left the explanation unfinished. He now returns to it again now in verse 8. There is no grace apart from faith. Do you remember the definition of faith that we find in Scripture? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That is faith. And faith works with grace. Grace, then, is God's gift to us. It is 100% His grace because God has taken the initiative towards us. And this grace cannot be obtained by any works of our own merit. This is amazing grace that saved a wretch like me, that saved a wretch like you. Same grace, not a differing grace. Therefore, we cannot take pride in being graced. Be careful, Christian, that you take pride in being graced. Instead, as recipients of the grace of God, the Apostle Paul described that we are now God's handiwork. Doesn't that sound nice? You are God's handiwork. It's like he was knitting something or sewing something. Right, Pastor Sharon? It's handiwork. It's beautiful. We are God's handiwork. And this is how God sees us through Jesus Christ. As handiwork, we are not just a beautiful masterpiece of grace, but now we are useful vessels for good works. We don't just sit on the shelf and look pretty. We get to work. Put some water in and pour that vessel. Store something in it so it's preserved and kept well. We're not saved for good works. We are saved to do good works. 
So when we read the words prepared in advance, something happens in our minds. It triggers something for us. We enter the ongoing debate about predestination versus free will, a messy theological area. You probably don't want to go there today. That's a whole sermon in itself, right? But guess what? Here's the thing about these things. A lot of these things are theological constructs that people argue about one side or the other. Here's the truth. And I see this a lot of, a lot of the time in the Bible. Guess what? Both of them are in the Bible. Let's just deal with it that way. Both of them in their Bible. So let's not build a bridge that divides people into two camps. Let's understand what God's saying when he talks about predestination and free will. So we see the words prepared in advance. Instead of getting stuck on one and missing the other, we embrace both of these things. In order for a person to believe in God, they must exercise their free will to have faith in God, period. God's not going to force himself on you. He wants you to choose for yourself who you will serve. But once you have done so and you've activated that faith in him, the person, the man or the woman, can actualize all the works God had predestined for him or her to do. Because you stand in alignment with God now. You're not working against God. You're with God. And God had all these wonderful dreams for you to live out, and now you get to live it out. Therefore, when it comes to our partnership with God, predestination works in cooperation with faith. So God, again, he does not force himself upon us, but there is so much more for us to discover because in predestination, his thoughts become our thoughts. His ways become our ways. It's a beautiful thing. And this is the journey of good works that lies before each of you today. Will you step into it? Will you walk that life out and live for Jesus and do what Jesus has called you to do? all the things he's dreamed for you to do. Well, we've looked at these words today. And as we conclude this morning, I was thinking all week how I could end this message. I've invited a special guest to join me this morning, a man who has been on a journey over the past several years. And many of you have seen him before. I'm pretty sure you've seen him if you've been at WPA for a while, but you do not really know him. And his name is Terry Lewis. Terry, would you join me up, this, up here this morning? Terry's here. Can we all welcome Terry up here? Watch your step, Terry. Nice. I don't know, if, but Terry got a haircut, like a really sharp haircut. So I was shocked. When I saw him this morning, I was expecting the longer hair. But then there it was. You're looking good, sir. Yeah. Thank you. It's so good to have you here. Listen, we brought Terry here this morning all the way from Meaford, Ontario, about a two-hour drive uh, where he's currently staying. And uh, thanks, Jim Stroh, for picking him up this morning. Appreciate you. And uh, I just want to share a little bit about Terry's life with you, some of uh, Terry's testimony with you, so that you can understand why we celebrate God's work in other people. Terry's walk with the Lord is one to be celebrated, but Terry's life has never been easy. When Terry joined our church almost six years ago, I think, Terry, you were battling a severe opioid addiction. It had taken hold of your life. It was strong and it was severe. And because of his strong desire to be free from this stronghold, he started a treatment plan, uh, which he has been on for several years. When I first met Terry, his dosage was so high 
that the reality of him becoming clean again seemed impossible and relapse seemed inevitable. It was just so daunting and so big. But what set Terry apart from many other addicts is that he not only fights this addiction medically, but he also fights this addiction spiritually. He would often call the church to give us an update on how he was doing. And I, I, we, Terry and I would talk on the phone. He'd talk with all the pastors, in fact. We all had this thing that, hey, Terry called one of you this week. And we'd share that information. We'd get each other up to date on what's happening in the life of Terry. And we would pray for him. And sincerely, we prayed for him because we believed in him. And uh, we, I know Terry wholeheartedly believes that the same God who has saved him is the same God who can deliver him. And today, I am just so happy to see you, Terry. First of all, it's been a while since I've seen you. Uh, but I really want to do this with our church family. I want to celebrate how far you have come. Because that puts this sermon into practice. Because we want to celebrate what God has been doing in your life over these past years. Pastor Kim and I in particular have been looking forward to this day for a long time. Now, I called Terry last night. I, I almost didn't get a hold of Terry, okay? It was really close. 9.45, somehow I got your number. I called you and we talked for a few minutes. And I told Terry what we're going to do. And he told me last night, he reported the facts to me. He said his original methadone dosage was 212 milligrams. Is that 220 milligrams. Are you hearing me this morning? That's a high dosage, okay? 220 milligrams. And today, because of Terry's hard work, but most importantly, because of God's transforming power in his life, his present methadone dosage is 12 milligrams. Yeah, can we give the Lord the right kind of credit he deserves in this place? Thank you, Jesus. All glory to God. Amen. I'm so proud. I'm so proud of you, Terry. This is amazing news, and you're almost there. And we can't wait to see you cross that finish line and to be fully clean, to be healed, to be whole again. And I'm so glad to see you and how far you got. You're looking so good, seriously. You're looking so good today. So on behalf of WPA, I want to do something to encourage Terry as he moves closer and closer to that time, that date. How long will it take, Terry? Just a few more weeks or months or what? A few more months. You're almost there. Less than, almost less than 10. 12 milligrams. Terry, I went out and bought this for you. I want you to open it up while you're here. The first thing is this, really. It's a Bible. And um, why don't you open it up and look in the front page. Yeah, God did it. That's right. He deserves it. He pursued you. I wrote your name in it, Terry. And uh, I wrote the date today just to mark a milestone in your life. I know you're almost there. And uh, we believe in you. I want you to know that WPA will cheer you on to the finish line. Because you're going to make it. And you're going to have a testimony of the power of God at work in your life. And you're going to be able to help people. You're going to be able to encourage them in their struggle. And, to, and you're going to show them that Jesus is the answer. 
You're going to open the scripture of that Bible, and you're going to read it to them and show them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This morning, you came to prayer with me this morning, and you were praying for some of those friends that are far from Jesus even now because you believe it wholeheartedly. You know it. Yeah. Let me get a microphone. Let me get a, They want to hear you. They don't want to hear me. Why don't you say a few words if you want to? Thank you. Is it on? Yep, it's on. Um, back in April, I uh, went to my cottage because of the COVID. Um, since then, God has removed my compulsion to use. It wasn't just a methadone opiate user. I had many drugs of choice. God removed all those things. Um, he put some powerful people in my life that encouraged me and helped me. Some call me on a, a daily basis just to encourage me. Basically, I, I, um, he pursued me relentlessly through. I came to the cross for salvation. I come back for repentance. Um, he's a powerful God if you let him do what he wants. Amen. Amen. I don't deserve any credit. He does. Amen. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Yeah, let's celebrate Terry in this place. Terry, in this, there's a card, and there's also another gift inside there for you, for you to enjoy. I just wanted to remind, it was, I felt it was so worth picking you up from Meaford and dropping you back later this afternoon. It's humbling. He doesn't deserve the credit. God does. And that's, that's the truth, right? So let, let's just pray for Terry this morning. Would you stretch your hands out towards him? God, we thank you for the, the work that you have been doing in Terry's life. Father, you who started a good work, bring it to completion. Let him walk free and clean and strong and mighty in the Lord and in the power of your might. As he has said, it is not him, but it is the God who lives within him. Continue to manifest your power and your strength in Terry's life. Let him know the power of the Spirit. Let him deflect all the arrows of the enemy. The, the Satan would want to come, steal, kill, and destroy Terry. But you have come to give Terry life. And he is going to walk in the abundance of that life. So we say, yes, Lord, do your work. Finish it completely. Let him never look back. With only looking back with thanksgiving in his heart. Seeing how far God has brought him. That he's a product of grace, he's a product of mercy, and he's a product of love because of the cross of Jesus Christ. We celebrate the work that you've done in Terry's life today. We as a church, we get behind him and we'll pray for him and we'll encourage him. Even today, when we leave this place, we'll give him a word of encouragement and say, Terry, we're with you. Terry, you're not alone. The body of Christ will never leave you. The body of Christ is going to pray you through to the finish line. So we pray blessing over him today. Thank you for his testimony of 
Thank you that it'll be used for your glory. Thank you for the future that lies ahead. It's not over. It's not finished. A new season is beginning. We declare that life over today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Terry. It's all right. God bless you, brother. Amen. You see, church, if, if God can do it for Terry, then he can do it for us. That's the reality. We want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. There is still more work that he wants to do in you because he's not finished yet. And I know that some of you, you, you're sitting here today or you're watching online and your faith has plateaued and your growth, your spiritual growth has been stunted. You have lost sight of your first love. Maybe you are taking for granted all that Jesus has done for you. But it's time to reread Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 as a scripture that is not only about the Ephesians, but a scripture that is about you. May you never look at the words once and because and in order that and for the same way again. For once you were spiritually dead, but now you are alive. Because of his great love and his rich mercy, in order that you be raised up and seated with Christ in heavenly places, for you are saved by grace through faith. You are God's handiwork. Church family, we are most like Jesus when we celebrate God's work in others. So, Father, we give you this day. We give you our lives afresh. We celebrate the work that you're doing in others. Help us to take time to learn about people and their spiritual journey. And let us as a church always be quick to celebrate and to testify of the good things you are doing. Oh, God, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.